0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and go to the book of Romans in the fifth chapter. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans, and this is week number eight of that series. And, um... Last week we got through the first five verses of the fifth chapter. We've been going through the book of Romans just verse by verse and just really digging out of it what the Lord has to say to us. And today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Faith Changes Everything. You can also follow along online if you have the YouVersion app for uh, your iPad or for your smartphone, and you can follow along there by looking for a live event in your area. Um, so let's go ahead and go straight into the Word. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. And let's go straight to verse 6, is where we left off last week. Let's see what the Lord has to say for us today. But wait, just a second, actually. Hold that thought. Before we read this scripture, I want you to understand that when you come to church, when you gather with a family of believers in one room and you're hearing the word of God, there's a certain way you need to come into this type of an atmosphere and environment. And that's one of expectation. You need to be expecting God to speak to you where you're at. Because here's what he does. God takes his Holy Spirit and through his word makes that word applicable to your life regardless of what season you're at. So we're all sitting here in this room and we're all in different seasons of life. We have different things happening, going on in our lives, different things we're thinking about, different Uh, issues we're facing, different challenges, but somehow the Holy Spirit in his perfection takes the word of God and will zero in right on where you're at. If you are attentive and expecting him to do so. Amen. Have you ever experienced that before? People come to me all the time and they tell me, oh, that was a great message. You preached about this and this. I'm like, I didn't even think I said that, you know, because it's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and making it alive to you as an individual. And that will grow and increase the more you prepare your heart before you come into this place, before you come into this gathering of worship and and sharing of the word with an expectation heart same attitude you need to take every day when you may open up your Bible to read the Bible don't just read it as a chore or something you're going to get through because you think you get brownie points in God's eyes for doing it right right that's correct pastor thank you because you don't get brownie points in God's eyes for reading the word of God God doesn't work on a brownie point system amen somebody if he did we're all in trouble Because we've done a lot more goofy things than we have good things. And so we need grace, and we need Jesus, and we need that relationship with Him. So we're not in His Word to get brownie points from Him. We're in His Word because our heart longs to know Him more. Amen? And so when we go to His Word with an expectant heart, it changes the level of receptiveness that we have to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your heart. So before we read this sixth verse, let's check our hearts and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this Day, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you would just break our hearts in such a way to be receptive to the good seed of your word that's going to be planted and invested in our hearts today. And I pray, God, it would bring about an awesome harvest in our lives and in those around us. Thank you for the power of the potential of the seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time... Christ died for the ungodly. Let's just stop right there because this has already gotten awesome. He said that while we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. So Christ died for the ungodly. So something about the ungodly needs to be noted here. They recognize something about themselves. They recognize they have no strength. They recognize they have no ability. No ability to do what? To save themselves. To bring what was done wrong in right standing again. The violation against the very person of who God is. We committed high treason against the holiness and the justice of God by rejecting Him. And because of that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we recognize in our state that we have no strength, no ability to save ourselves. No ability to right what was wrong no matter how hard we try we could never make right what was made wrong between human humanity and god and so we recognize that we are ungodly that we have no strength but when we recognize that the bible says in verse six that in due time when it was the right time christ died for the ungodly that he died for you and for me who rejected his holiness and his goodness you see the thing that the ungodly do recognize is that they need saving. They need saving because they don't measure up to the holy, righteous standard of who God is. Of who He is. Not just what He does. We always look at We always look at at sin and and, and unrighteousness as like something really wicked and evil. We think about people who, you know, just want to dress in all black and wear heavy black makeup with black lipsticks that are in their parents' basement listening to music that goes, and that's what we think that sin is, and that's what we think unrighteousness is, and that's what we think wickedness is. But what we miss is that it's not those things as much as it is a condition of man's heart. And sometimes it presents itself in a way that doesn't look anything like that at all. Often the enemy comes as an angel of light. Often we see things that could look good and fine and well, but yet the heart and the core of it is very ungodly, is very selfishly motivated, even good things that people may do that may be appearing right in someone else's eyes. The motive of what is what God looks at. The heart is what God looks at. Amen, somebody. And so when we were still ungodly, not just when we were all completely aware of our darkness, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly and and I just think that you know it's really interesting to note that because he chose to give us his best when we were at our worst that we need to recognize that it's not anything that we could do it wasn't something that we earned it wasn't that all of a sudden we became good enough for Jesus to die for us It's not all of a sudden God says, well, I guess that they've got enough figured out and they're doing pretty good. It's time to forgive them of their sin. That's not what happened. Actually, he said when we were ungodly without strength in due time, Christ died for us. Let's keep reading. Romans chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, notice that he makes contrast here between three different kinds of people, the ungodly, the righteous, and the good. He talks about three different folks there in these scriptures. He said that, okay, the ungodly is who Christ died for, but, you know, if there's a righteous person, someone who's a good, upstanding, what you would consider a a righteous individual, he said, someone wouldn't even you know rarely die for someone like that someone wouldn't say okay i'll trade places with you and die in your stead he said and then a good person someone maybe who won the citizen of the year award someone who was just a good upstanding individual that everyone thought well of oh he's a good guy maybe someone would trade places and die for him maybe it just shows the depravity of humanity and it shows the weakness of our flesh to right a wrong because Us as humans, because we're so selfishly driven, we would rarely even die for someone righteous or good. But then he draws the biggest contrast of them all. He says, but while we were sinners, not when we were righteous, not when we were good, because in us dwells no good thing. He says, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, somebody. You see, for someone to die for ungodly sinners... That's just unthinkable. But Christ did it while we were still in that state. Let's keep on reading verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled or made right in the eyes of God because we were sinners. We were people who were ungodly, who were cut off from relationship with God. So how are sinners... How are ungodly sinners reconciled or made right or the relationship brought back fully to God? How are we made right? Is it through good deeds? Is it through us being good people and and that's how we're made right in the eyes of God? Is it through us following the Ten Commandments? Is, Is it through the bad things that we avoid? That's how we're made right in the eyes of God? No. There is only one way you and I are made right in the eyes of God. One way we are reconciled to God through through our faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how we're reconciled, by faith. That's why Paul said in Romans 1 and 17 that the just shall live by faith. Well, how do you know if you're really reconciled to God? You have to trust in what he says, because when you trust in what he says, even though you can't see the physical evidence of it, that's called faith. It would be a whole lot easier if when we were sinners cut off from relationship with God, if we all just walked around with giant black X's on our forehead. Wouldn't that just be easier? And then when you got saved, the black X just disappeared and everybody goes, oh, well, I guess they're reconciled to God. It's easier to see, but seeing doesn't require any faith at all, does it? You remember the story of Jesus when the paraplegic was brought before him. This guy was someone who had never walked before. Here's this man, he's lame. And the Pharisees brought him on the Sabbath day because you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees wanted to see if Jesus would heal this man because that would be considered working and you weren't supposed to do that. They were wanting to trick him and trap him. And when they bring the paraplegic before Jesus... Jesus looks at the man, and he knows what's in the Pharisees' hearts. And you want to know what he says? Does he say, get up and walk? No, he looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. What? The guy didn't even come to Jesus wanting his sins forgiven. But Jesus met the deepest, intrinsic need of humanity that we ultimately needed, which was to be reconciled to God through forgiveness of our sin. Jesus met the man with what he needed, not what everybody else thought he needed. Everybody else looked at the man, and it's apparent. This man, he needs to walk again. That's what he needs to be considered normal in society. No, what he really needs is to be reconciled to God, because that's the deeper need. Now, how do we know that that really happened or not? That got the Pharisees all riled up. Who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? What, what, what in the world is he, is he doing? He, he, here we brought this lame man for him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, looks at them and says this. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Which one's easier to say? Well, rise up and walk. Because we can see the evidence of that thing actually happening. It would be like if Jesus said, "All right, get up and walk and everybody goes, Okay, let's see if this worked. You see, everyone knew about Jesus' good deeds and His miracles. Jesus did not come to the earth to just do good deeds and miracles. He came to reconcile mankind back unto God. That was His purpose. And so he was showing them, first and foremost, his purpose. He was saying, listen, I've come to forgive sin. This is what I'm here for, to reconcile back into right relationship with God because there's something between mankind and God, and it's called sin. And so he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And then he looks at the crowd and he says this, just so you will know, so you will know that the Son of Man has power both to heal the sick and forgive sins, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And the crowd's got nothing to say because he showed them who he was. He said, I'm going to do this so you will know the Son of Man has both power to heal the sick and forgive sin. He showed them now, how do we receive that forgiveness of sin? How do we receive that reconciliation with God? Through faith in the finished work of the cross. That's the gospel message. Not that your life is hard and difficult here and if you have Jesus, he can make it better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us who were ungodly, undeserving. He poured out his grace on us and he gave us not what we deserve because what we deserve for our sin was death. But he took death to the cross and he put death to death once and for all so you and I could now live in right standing with God because he took your punishment and my punishment. That's why Isaiah says that the chastisement for our peace that brought us peace it was upon him. By his stripes we're healed we're made whole we're made complete we're made in right standing with God because of what Jesus took on the cross that was actually meant for you and me. Faith in that work. Not anything visible that I can see. Not something disappearing on my forehead. Not something that everyone goes, Oh, well, I can see that you obviously look different as a Christian. No, it's not that we change physically. Because, man, if we all got like a six-pack and we all like look like supermodels after getting saved, there would be a line out the door to hear this gospel message. But there's not. Because you may not see physical changes, because the physical change wasn't the purpose. The physical change wasn't the reason Christ came. Christ came to change the heart. Amen? He came because he's been after the heart. And when we put our faith in what he did, that makes us justified in the eyes of God. We're made in right standing because of Jesus. So how did we get out of right standing? What happened to cause this whole thing to get goofed up in the first place? Let's keep reading, because Paul explains it here in verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Okay, let's stop right there. He says, through one man sin entered the world. Does anyone know who that one man is? Adam. Adam. Through Adam, through one man, the first man, sin entered into the world. And as a result of sin, what came about? Death. Death is always the result of sin. That's where sin ultimately leads is death. And he said, now this death spread to all men in verse 12, because all sin. Verse 13, until the law was in the world, talking about the law of Moses that was given, until the law was in the world, sin was not imputed when there is no law. He said, but there was still sin in the world. There was still sin in the world before the law. He said, but now sin was imputed when the law came. So it would show man, man's sinfulness. And then verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses before the law. Is what that's referring to. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Who is a type of him who was to come. Now, even those who didn't do what Adam did. Now what did Adam do? He rejected God willingly knowing the consequence. That's what a transgression is. When you look at that word transgression, it's not something we really use a lot in our day and time. But a transgression is me making a decision to do wrong willfully knowing the consequences or what is going to happen. But I still choose to do it anyway. That's a transgression. It's not uh, took a bite of the fruit, whoops. It's, no, I know full well what's going to happen as a result of me doing this, and I'm still going to choose to do it anyways. So Adam transgressed, committed high treason against a holy, righteous, and perfect God. And then what happens as a result of Adam's sin, Adam's rejection of God, is that there's been this pattern that's been established. Adam carved out a path. For humanity and every one of us who are born after Adam fall into this pattern or this carved out path of sin rebellion and rejection of God you want to know how I know that's true because you don't have to teach your three-year-old to lie and if you do you're a terrible parent You don't have to teach your kid to hide things or lie. Why? Because the Bible says that we are children of wrath by nature. It's a pattern that's been established because of the fallen state of humanity. It's the fallen state of humanity. And so the fruit of this fallen state is going to be rebellion against authority. The fruit of this fallen state is going to be angst towards anything that would actually point me in the right direction, that would bring glory to God. Actually, I'm going to be more attracted naturally things, to things that would bring glory to me or that would satisfy selfish desires in me. That's what we're wired naturally to do is to be self-worshipping, selfish, feeding ourselves, doing whatever we want, thinking we're smarter than everybody. We've got the market on everything. We've got everything figured out that our way is the best way. And so we heap on ourselves our thoughts, our ways that we chase after that path because it is the same path that Adam took, willfully knowing what we know. Willfully choosing that path. That's the state of fallen man. The result of that type of life, the result of those types of of, of hearts that are directed inward and selfishly, continually worshiping self, that puts trust and faith and hope in our ability to do good, that puts faith and hope in our ability to be right in our own eyes, that's the path that leads to death. That's the path that is sinful, that is disconnected from God. And it's a pattern that we all repeat. Because it's the pattern of Adam. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 5. Now, where did this pattern come from? Did it come from Adam? Well, yeah, He was the first person, the first human to do it. But actually it goes back before even Adam, this all-out rejection of God. Actually, Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 14 and verse 12. You can go ahead and put it up. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you've said where? Where did he say this? In his heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He said this where? In his heart. He said, I'm smarter than you, God. I know better than you. I want to be like you because I think I'm better than you. You see, here's the thing about that. God is God. Who he is is established. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. It's not like God used to be this way and now he's this way. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? I don't care what Bible you're reading out of. If you think God was once this way and now he's this way, you're not serving the same God I am. He's the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And who he is is established. You see, God is holy. He doesn't do holiness. He is holiness, all right? God doesn't do love. He is love, all right? This is who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. And when man tries to exalt his thoughts, his reasonings, or his feelings and emotions above that, then he is saying, God, I want to redefine or change who you are. Because I want you to accommodate me. Because that's that selfish nature, that's that fallen nature that always wants to be accommodated, that always wants God to be my way. So we'll read something in Scripture that we don't like or that makes us feel bad. And we'll say, well, God, I don't like the way this makes me feel. And so we exalt our feelings above who God is in an attempt to redefine who God is. You can't do it. You cannot redefine who God is. When you try to redefine who God is through your rationale, through your reasoning, through your emotions your own rationale that is sin and blasphemy that is us outright rejecting who God is and it's the same pattern that Adam carved out for us and it's the same thing that Satan did when he was known more as Lucifer there in the very presence of God it started with him and Adam had a meet up with him Adam and his wife Eve had a meet up with Lucifer fallen in the state of the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You'll not eat of it. Don't even touch it. If you do, you're going to die. The serpent said to the woman, You're not going to die. He said, Actually, God's holding something back from you. Actually, he knows something that if you eat of this tree, that actually your eyes are going to be open and you're actually going to be like God. You're going to be knowing good and evil. So the woman looked at that and she said, wow, this tree is uh, good for food. It's pleasant to my eyes. And he said, it's going to make me wise. So she took the fruit and ate and gave it to her husband who was with her at the time all this was going on. And he ate. Verse 7, in the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves covering. Because every time sin is truly exposed in the presence of a holy God, what does it try to do? It tries to hide itself, tries to justify itself, tries to cover itself. It tries to somehow fix it itself. And God said, you can't, you can't fix this. You have outright rejected me, knowing full well that the result of sin is death. Because before then, the intent of man was to live forever in the presence of God, to have fellowship and relationship with him. But now, because of high treason, now death has ruled. Because that's the consequence of sin. Sin always leads to death. Satan's path of rejecting God is ultimately going to lead to his destruction. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah! (laughs) The ultimate thing that is going to happen to Satan is he is ultimately going to be destroyed. Why? Why is why is Lucifer ultimately going to be destroyed? Because of sin. Because sin ultimately leads to death, right? So he is ultimately going to be destroyed and it's sin is the cause. Now the result of man choosing this path of rejecting God, guess what it also leads to? Death and destruction. This is the pattern that Adam, however, chose for humanity by choosing self-rule instead of total reliance on God to provide for his needs and his desires. And we repeat these patterns by nature, because by nature we're sinners. And when I exalt my throne above God's throne, I'm following the pattern of a fallen being. And his pattern ultimately leads to death. And we are repeating this fallen pattern of the one who originally fell and it destroys us and it cuts us off from God because God is holy. That's why God cannot be where sin is because if we try to exalt our thinking and our reasoning above his ways, we're again attempting to redefine his holiness and his goodness and what is good. God cannot be redefined. He simply is I am. He cannot be redefined through rebellion and our selfishness. And we try and we fail, and we repeat the pattern over and over again. We try and we fail, and we repeat the pattern over and over again, trying to be the God of our lives. When we see who God is and His holiness and His standard and His righteousness, and we say, you know what? I think I'm going to exalt my way of thinking above God's way, and I'm going to look to myself for the answers. I'm going to look to myself for the peace. I'm going to look to myself for completeness and purpose. And my purpose in life is just to heap as many treasures and toys upon myself as I can or for me to get that big promotion or for me to just be this awesome person in the community or for to be this rock star that everybody just worships. And that's what we think our purpose in life is, and if we don't have those things, we feel like failures. And even if we get those things, the temporary satisfaction that you receive leaves you always feeling empty because you can't truly find rest and satisfaction because man has a deep, intrinsic need that surpasses anything that this world could fill. And that deep, intrinsic need is what? Relationship with God. Relationship with God. And you can't earn it on your own. You can't be good enough to earn God's love. You can't be kind enough or nice enough to receive God's love. No, it's only received by faith just like the man who was the paraplegic. When he was there with Jesus, Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, now rise up and walk. That stirred the faith of the people to know that when Jesus says something, that that means it's going to happen. Amen? So when Jesus hung on the cross with his arms spread wide and he said, it is finished, guess what? It really happened. Amen? When he said it is finished, that means it is finished. That means now man has a pathway straight to God. And that comes through faith in the finished work of the cross. Now, not only does this path or this pattern of sin ultimately lead to physical death, but it also makes our lives here on earth filled with darkness and emptiness. A life of sin seeks temporary fulfillment over and over again with no purpose. Other than just to please oneself or to look for some type of temporary satisfaction. But here's the thing. That life is going to ultimately end in death. And when they die, not only are they going to be dead physically here on earth, but they are going to go to hell. Where death is going to be there forever. Where they'll have no true life in the presence of God. Because they lived a life that was sought, sought after its own glory. But they always fall up short and empty. Because, listen, that kind of a life is not a true life. It's just an existence. And this is a pattern that man repeats over and over and over again. Looking and searching, looking and searching. And somebody has to break the pattern. And this would be a terrible sermon if that were the end. But that's not the end. Romans chapter 5, and let's pick back up where we left off at verse, let's read 14 again, now that we understand, actually, scratch that, let's back up to 12, and let's read the whole thing now that we understand what we understand. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, then much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, then much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. So what he's saying here is that justification through Christ, gives my life purpose because it breaks the power of sin and death. It's His grace. It's not what I earned. It's not what I deserve because every single one of us, I don't care who you are. I don't care how nice you've been. I don't care how kind you've been. I don't care how much of an upstanding citizen that you've been. At your core, you have fallen into this pattern of rejecting God in your heart, exalting your thoughts, your ways, your desires above His, thus trying to... To taint his holiness or redefine his holiness, and you can't do it. So, as a result, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need to be justified. And that happens through faith in the finished work of Christ. And then, when that happens, and I put my faith in him, he makes all things new. He gives my life purpose because now the power of sin and death, the pattern of Adam that I once followed, I no longer am destined to follow after that pattern anymore. I have a new pattern to follow after. And it's one that he wants me to reign in life through Jesus Christ. You see, now I don't have to live my life empty and void of purpose, looking to please myself and spending the rest of my life trying to find something that makes me happy or something that accommodates my desires or my will. Now I'm giving my life away to the one who gave himself for me. And my life now has a greater purpose, and that's to bring glory to God. It's to be a a reflection of how big and awesome His goodness is. It's to show people the majesty of the grace of God. Look at what he said here in verse 17. He said, we will receive an abundance of grace through the gift of righteousness. An abundance. Now you already get grace. You get what you didn't deserve. That's what grace is. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was a gift. If it became something you could earn or deserve, then it no longer becomes a gift. It becomes something that you earned, something you deserve." the Bible tells us pretty plain and clear what we earn and what we deserve. The wages of sin. The earnings of sin. The pathway of sin. The pathway of this pattern of Adam is death. But the gift of God, the gift of grace of God is righteousness or right standing in the eyes of God through faith. Through trusting in what I can not see. Through trusting in something that is bigger than me. Than my efforts, than my ability. I realize that while I was still ungodly, while I was still weak, while I was still in that fallen state, that Christ died for me. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. And it breaks the power of the pattern. Are you getting this today? You see, it breaks the power of the pattern that sin once had over you because your destiny was set before Christ. It was sin, selfishness, and it's going to lead to death. But now that Christ has come, He's reoriented the pattern. Now you don't have to follow that pattern anymore. You don't have to be condemned to death because of that. Because now you have life. Even though because we're still in the fallen world, we will ultimately physically die. Death is not the end for us who belong to Christ. We still keep on going on to His glory, getting to know Him and see Him for who He is face to face. Death is not the end because Jesus has overcome death. He's broken the power of sin, and now we live a life everlasting with Him, but also we can enjoy a life with Him here on the earth that brings Him glory because we're no longer a part of the pattern of this world. We're no longer a part of the pattern that leads to sin and death. We're now a part of the pattern that will lead to life And he said that we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. He said that here in verse 17, we will reign in life. Now, that word reign is a Greek word, basilio. And I don't know, that's not really important because nobody cares. But what it means is it means to have rule or dominion over. Let's all say it together. It's for fun. Let's say it. Basilio. Basilio. (laughs) You have those very fun, and we all probably got it wrong, and there's somebody who's like a Greek major in here, and they're all like, you're not saying it right, and it means to rule or have dominion over. Now, what are we supposed to rule or have dominion over? What? Death. Sin. Amen? Because we're reigning in life. It doesn't mean, because that scripture can be taken out of context, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we get everything we want and that God is going to make our lives easy if we have enough faith. That's not what it means. Because how many of us know that Jesus told us himself that there are going to be trials and tribulations and things that come your way, so just get ready for it. But guess what? Don't be afraid of those things. Don't fear for those things because I've already overcome the world. Don't let that scare you. Don't let that that hold you back. Now you're supposed to have dominion over the life, the pattern of sin, the pattern of Adam that ultimately leads to death. And now you have a new pattern to follow after. You see, here's the thing. What reigning in life means is that God wants us to reign over death, Sin and the result of a life of sin. Because when we do, the purpose of it, the deeper purpose of it, is that it brings glory to God. It shows how awesome and big His grace is. Let's read verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in what? Justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is saying that grace is greater than sin grace is greater it's bigger than sin I don't care how far you've gone I don't care how dirty how worthless how wretched you feel his grace is greater than your sin and you no longer have to conform to the pattern of Adam the life that would choose sin and bondage that's going to lead to death no Jesus has opened the way and made the way for you to live life and life abundantly here on earth that would bring glory to him even in trial even in trouble even in pain even in persecution you can still hold fast to the confession of your faith and you can still live this life as more than a conqueror even if everything doesn't work out your way man wouldn't that be great if god promised everything's going to go your way after you become a christian all you got to do is just pray hard enough read your bible and be a good enough person and everything will go your way well guess what that doesn't work that kind of gospel is a false gospel. That would want to say that when Jesus is in your life, nothing bad is ever going to happen. And if it does, it's your fault. That's wrong. The reason bad things happen to good people is because we live in a fallen world where sin still exists. That's why things happen to people that don't deserve it. Because sin is still in this world. But even though bad things may happen to us, even though we may get hurt, we may get disappointed, we may get let down, we may get treated poorly, they may put us in prison, they may persecute us, they may try to to take our very lives. Jesus said, don't fear a man who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. He said, instead, fear the Lord your God who can kill both body and soul and damn them both to hell. He said, that's who we need to walk in fear of. We need to fear God. In other words, we need to say, okay, God, I'm taking you seriously. Because I understand how great of a price you paid for me. And I want to follow after your path and not after the path that was naturally carved out for me by Adam. Because I'm not a part of that world anymore. I may be in that world where that kind of result, that kind of life is all around me. But I don't have to play. Amen, somebody. I may get hated for it. I may get ridiculed for it. Actually, Jesus told his disciples, you know what, guys? Everybody's going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. He said, you're actually going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to die badly, and it's going to be because of me. They didn't die badly because they didn't have enough faith. Where was Peter's faith when he was hung upside down on a cross by his own choice? See, bad things still happen. Persecution still comes, but we can still rejoice because death is not the end for you and me. Amen? Christianity has to be more than just us being, having a happy, good life. Because what if your life isn't all happy and sunshine and roses and good? Do you still have peace with God? Because ultimately that's all that's going to matter. Not how big of a house you lived in or how fat your bank account was. Amen? All that's going to matter is do you have peace with God? Because if you want to walk in the peace that comes from Him, you've got to have peace with Him. If you want to walk in that joy everlasting, then you have to have the source of joy. And He is all of those things. And so much more. And he gives himself to us freely. Because he gave us his son. And all we have to do is trust in him. And his grace is greater than sin. Even though sin is all around us. That's why the apostle Paul said, I've learned how to be a base. And I've learned how to abound. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned how to still be content wherever I am. If I'm shackled up in prison. If I'm being chased for my very life. If I'm being shipwrecked on an island. If I'm being bitten by snakes. I don't care what it is. I've learned to be content. If I'm sitting at the table of a king, I can do all these things because Christ has given me a deeper purpose than whether my conditions are met. Come on, somebody. You see, you no longer have to live your life in bondage, searching for meaning, fulfillment, or peace, because His grace is greater than sin that leads to death. Receiving His grace by faith frees me from the weight of condemnation. Because I was once dead and destined for death, living a lifeless life with no purpose, but now I'm alive in Christ. Sin's what reigns in a dead man's life, but grace is what reigns in the life of a man who has become a new creation in Christ. Where old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Amen? And faith changes everything. Listen to me, it changes everything. Because my life has meaning now. I was dead and I was empty. Whether people realize it or not, Apart from Christ, they're dead and empty. But instead of receiving punishment for my sin, justice was done by Jesus, by Him being my substitute. And that is grace. That is how big His grace is. That's how His grace is greater than your sin or my sin. Greater than our, re, our attempt to redefine who God is and exalt our throne above His throne. His grace is bigger than that. His love is bigger than that, that while we were in that state, he chose to die for us. While we were in that state, he chose to offer this free gift to be reconciled unto him because it changes the heart. A life that receives grace by faith now has that new pattern to follow. And here's the thing, folks. The pattern of Jesus is what we grow in as believers, not the pattern of Adam. Now, Now, that doesn't mean that we still don't deal with the pattern of Adam. Because we repeat the pattern of Adam because we've been so conditioned to it. We got pretty good at it. We got pretty good at serving ourselves. We got pretty good at being selfish. That was what we've done for the majority of our life until we came to the saving faith of Christ and He reoriented our heart and showed us that there is a different way. So we got pretty good at that. But we don't have to live that way anymore because that leads to bondage and death. Now we have a new pattern. You see, we can quickly forget the gospel and identify with the old pattern. But we then remind ourselves of the gospel. We remind ourselves of his goodness, and then our minds begin to get renewed with a new pattern, one that brings glory to God. Because here's the pattern of Jesus. He trusted God. He obeyed God, and he gave himself away for the purpose of God's glory. Each one of those things spill over into one another. You see, he he trusted God. You have to trust first. A lot of people want to skip right to step two. And they think that if we obey God, then that means that God's going to reconcile me simply because my obedience. That's religion and its dead works. People think that if I can get the obedience part right down, I don't care what you have disciplined your flesh to do. If your heart and your faith doesn't have its trust and hope in God, you're trusting in how good you can obey what he said. You can't trust in your own ability to obey. You have to have faith first. You have to have that peace in place first. So the trust piece has to be there. Where does the faith to trust him come from? From hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and 17. And out of my faith, out of my trust, it overflows into a natural obedience because my heart has been reoriented. Now I can choose life instead of choosing death. I've set before you this day life and death. Choose which one are you going to do? You can't serve two masters. you got to make a choice. Now that your heart has been changed, you actually have have that choice because before you were a slave to sin you were in that pattern you were in that wake and there was no hope for you but jesus came made a way we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him and then we obey him and what does it cause us to do give ourselves away for his glory That's what it causes us to do. That's why you don't have to teach people Romans 12. And you don't have to teach them how to give their life as a living sacrifice. Because we understand that we were bought with a price. My life is not my own. He owns me now because he has paid the price for me. And now I can be right in the eyes of God. Because here's the pattern of Adam. He trusts in himself above God. He wants to be his own God. He obeys his own will, not God's. And he lives only to please himself and his desires. And that path leads to death. Now, I've set before you this day two paths. You can choose the path of Adam, the pattern of Adam, which you've been set free from, or you can choose this day to serve Jesus Christ, put your faith and your hope and your trust in Him, follow Him in obedience from your heart, and it will cause you to give yourself away and allow your life to be a reflection of His glory. That's what faith changes. That's what changes everything. Faith. And the finished work of the cross causes us to trust in God. Faith in the finished work of the cross redirects my heart, redirects my values, and it gives me a new pattern to follow after, one that leads to life and life abundantly, one that glorifies God and points people to grace so they too can find acceptance from God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what faith does. That's how faith changes everything everything. And it's not just a one-time decision where I I raised my hand or I said a little prayer in church one time. No, no, no. It's not just that I, I, I did this. No, it's that my heart is continually being gripped day by day with the awesomeness of the sacrifice of Jesus, and it deepens my trust in Him. That way when storms rise, when things come my way that I don't like, that I don't enjoy, I can keep on moving forward because my trust in Him is deeper because He's proven Himself faithful through and through. And I know He's good and I know God is for me and not against me. And I know the purpose of my life is to bring glory to Him. So whether it's in pain or suffering or whether it's in seasons of joy, I still find contentment because Christ is gain in my life. I have everything I need. Christ is enough for me if I'm in prison or if I'm living like a king Christ is still the centerpiece and he still is enough for me and in him I have all I need because what can man do to me I want to follow his pattern now because the more I follow his pattern the more I show people how awesome he is it deflects glory from me and it reflects glory to him that's what faith does faith changes everything so where is your faith today What pattern, what pattern are you following? Would you bow your head? God, I thank you for everyone in this place today, and I would just ask you, Jesus, that you would do the heart work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, I cannot do heart work in people's lives. Only you can. And so I trust you to take the word, the seed that was sown today. And I pray you make it applicable in each person's life. And whether that's confronting them for the very first time of their need for Christ or whether that's reminding them of their need for Christ, I pray that we would respond to you today. We would respond by faith. We would respond by saying, Jesus, I realize I need you more than ever. Jesus, I realize you are all I need. Jesus, I put my faith and my hope and my trust in you, and I want to follow after your pattern that you've established, not after the pattern that leads to sin and death, the one that I've been accustomed to following for so long. But you came and you set me free, and you said, he who the Son has set free is free indeed, and I want to live in that kind of a freedom. I want to live with that kind of a fulfillment and purpose that would bring glory to you. Thank you, God, by your Holy Spirit, Going and gripping hearts of people. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who changes the hearts. Not any words of man, not any fancy language or manipulation. It's only you. And so we ask you to do what only you can do in hearts and lives today as people are confronted with the gospel. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to life change. And God, I ask you right now that you do the heart work and that we would come and repent. We would say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my transgression. Forgive me for trying to redefine who you are in my own selfishness. Help me to recognize the gospel and to follow after the pattern of Christ, one that trusts you, one that obeys you, and one that gives itself away to bring you glory. We honor you today, Jesus, and we thank you for touching hearts and changing lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look back up here for just a moment? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.